take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 37? Psalm 37 will be our text this evening. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the day of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows, borrows, but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. But those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utter wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power, or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. 
I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But the transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Psalm 37 is a wonderful word of promise to the righteous. Yet we find in this passage possibly one of the most abused verses in all of the scriptures. It's hard to tell which Bible verse is more abused in scripture, but this is certainly at the top of the list, and that's found in verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's easy to understand why if you just looked at that verse in isolation from, let's say, Psalm 37 or um, the rest of all of Scripture, you could easily abuse that passage and make it to be that if I have the right type of faith, God will give me the things that I want. That's usually how it's abused, and I've, I've not only heard people personally say that and use this verse that way, but certainly uh, a characteristic of charismatic theology and preaching. I remember uh, a particularly charismatic guy that um, I believe was a faithful man in many ways, but uh, he had gotten this new car, and it was a really fancy car. And I remember saying, well, that was, that was interesting. That was neat you got that car. And he quoted this verse to me. And in an ultimate sense, we know that uh, anytime you buy something, it's according to God's sovereign plan. It wouldn't have happened apart from God's providence. But that idea that if I have enough faith, God will reward that with either health or, or prosperity is actually something that's quite foreign to the Scriptures. And when we look at this verse and we begin to isolate it from the text and put that sort of import, that sort of meaning into it, uh, not only do we abuse that particular passage, but all of Psalm 37 is counter to that idea. This entire psalm is actually calling us into questioning those that have prosperity and us wondering, why do they have it and I don't, and being frustrated in that. This is actually calling us to examine what truly is. This entire context of the psalm is to encourage the righteous not to look at the prosperity of the wicked and be upset and wonder, why do they have prosperity? And the second thing that we see that emerges from this psalm, that if we understood this verse wrongly, is this. And this is the greater theme, and you could say this is a theme of Jesus as we will look at as we go into these verses here, is there is, there is something far greater 
than the world's riches. There is something far greater than me getting, let's say, the desires of materialistic possessions. In fact, those things pale in comparison to the righteousness that one has from Christ. And so if we look at this verse wrongly, we miss that great theme of what we truly have. And when we have all the riches of Christ in Him. But I just want us to, for a moment, dwell on this. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, if this is used to show that if I have enough faith, God will give me prosperity, it seems to be in contradiction to the rest of the psalm. And notice, first of all, verse 1, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Those are parallels there. Why would one be envious of a wrongdoer? And you notice he goes on to say in verse 7, Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. In other words, don't be envious of those that are evil, those that are evil and have prosperity. What would cause one to be envious? They would not, if this is if we see this as addressed to the righteous, they would not be envious of their evilness. So the envy must be of something else that we're being warned of. We're being warned, don't be envy of envious of their riches. And so there's, there's right off the bat something that says to us, these desires of the heart do not have anything to do with prosperity. Look at verse 16. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. Look at verse 21. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, and that's that picture of him hoarding. But look at the righteous. is generous and gives, even with the little he has. That's what characterizes the heart of the righteous is not that of envious envy over those with prosperity and a desire for that prosperity and if we just have enough faith God will give it but actually what characterizes the righteous is their generosity in giving to others you look at verse 23 the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Though he doesn't prosper, the Lord still continues to bless him. That's what he says in verse 25. Jesus 
in many ways repeats this in Matthew chapter 6, but he says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. In other words, the righteous, well, the Lord provides for them what they need. He provides for them the things that they need to have sustenance to, to survive. The Lord gives their necessities. We have to understand that when we see delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart, it must mean something than fleshly desires for worldly things. You notice also, verse 5 could be interpreted and abused as well. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. In other words, you could twist this to say that if I commit to God and I trust in Him, and I'm truly committing to Him and trusting in Him, God in response then will act through my faith. Think about that, how that could be twisted wrongly and abused and is abused. That God will just do what I want Him to do. That is shaping God in our own image. That is making God nothing more than Aladdin. It is to abuse the Scriptures. In fact, what we see His acts are is spelled out for us in verse 6. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noon day. In other words, to those that are trusting in the Lord, He will make them shine brightly. We have a wrong view of God often. We do not know the God of the Bible when we put forth such nonsense. God is immutable. Means God doesn't change. His decree is in eternity. God is not influenced by us. God is not changed by us. God is not altered by us. God doesn't have some potential that He's going to reach through us. If God could change, He would not be God. We want to take these wonderful promises and understand them in the context. And what we see here in this text is this. We see two groups of people. You see the wicked, and you see the righteous. You see those that are going to face a future judgment, and you see those that are going to receive a future inheritance. That's what this psalm is showing us is the wicked are waiting for, ju- for judgment and they will be wiped out by God. Don't be envious of their prosperity. But you, who have maybe little, you will inherit all things. That's the promise given to us. My friends, if we, if we were to think for just one second 
that there was some sort of comfort in the idea that through my delighting in the Lord, he would give me some sort of materialistic possessions. Do we realize how far that falls short of a new heavens and new earth with the Lord Jesus Christ? And that's what we're told we're given here. Notice what it says for the wicked. Verse 2, For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Their life is but a dew. It, it shines forth right now. It looks bright and shiny, but it's going away. Don't be attracted to it. He says in verse 6, He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday is that the Lord is going to bring justice to this world. Look at verse 9. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In verse 10. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more, though you look carefully at his place. He will not be there. Verses 14 and 15. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Verse 17. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Notice verse 20. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The end of verse 22. But those cursed by him shall be cut off. The end of verse 28 is this, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The end of verse 34, you will look on the wicked when they are cut off. Verse 35, I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Verse 38, but the transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. What is the common theme in all of these verses about the wicked? It is this one thing. Right now they look glorious, but very soon they are going to be destroyed by God Himself. They will face justice. So don't look at the shininess. Don't look at the sparkle of them and be angry and say, why do they have all of that? And I here I am and faithful and I don't have anything. Well, look at it, what it is that they have. Look at it is that, that, that they have been given. They're storing up wrath for themselves on the day of judgment. Don't be envious of that. Don't wonder why there's wicked people in power with extreme power and extreme wealth that we could say, oh, why do they have that? Look, there's coming a day where they won't have that, where they will be wiped out. But look what you have. You have a future inheritance. Five times we see that we are promised an inheritance. 
we're promised an inheritance. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, we see that the Lord makes a promise to His people that they will inherit a land. But they are going to inherit a land based upon their obedience. They will be given a land, and they do are given the land. How long do they keep that land? They don't keep it. They can't keep it. Because the keeping of it was based upon their good deeds. And what do we know about our good deeds? We don't have any. But I want you to notice what we are told about this in Isaiah 57, 13. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you, the wind will carry them all off, a breath will take them away. But he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. Those under a covenant of works... It was based upon them keeping the land through their good works. But we, the righteous, inherit something as we see here described by faith. That through faith, we receive something far greater. We receive something that cannot be taken away, is not based upon our obedience, but is actually based on the obedience of God. As God the Son stands in our place as our federal head and is obedient to the law in all ways. And that through Him, we receive an inheritance. So in one sense, yes, that faith is based upon works, the works, the work of Christ. But look what it is that we inherit something that is far greater through faith. Look at verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Look at verse 9. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Verse 11, which is a repeat of what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 5, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Notice verses 18 and 19. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. Verse 22, for those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. You notice in verse 28, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. Verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. In verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep His way and He will exalt you to inherit the land. 
in verse 37. Mark the blameless and behold the upright. There is a future for the man of peace. Notice the common themes that are in all of those verses is that God will give them an inheritance of the land that will be permanent and will be forever. Why would we ever envy that that is going to merely just rust? Why would we ever envy that which is not lasting? Why would our heart's desire ever be for those things when we have these wonderful promises realized in Christ? That we have something that is permanent. And this is speaking of something that is eternal, that can't go away, that's promised by God Himself. But you see this contrast here. The wicked are cut off, they're wiped out, they're judged, they're taken away. Remember that what we saw this morning in Zephaniah. The wicked are removed, the humble, the righteous remain. That's the same thing Psalm 37 is telling us, which is a wonderful corrective to some of the theology that exists today. But we're given some instructions in this. It begins really with the wonderment of evildoers prospering. Because we see, he tells him, he begins the psalm by fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. And so he begins with this question, why is it that they are prospering? He says, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Don't be envious of him. In verse 35, I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. And it's that idea of the spreading vine and prosperity that is taking place. And this bothers, no doubt, the righteous. So what are the righteous to do if they're not to envy that? Well, trust the Lord and do good. In fact, we see that in verse 3. We see, trust the Lord, that is, have faith in the Lord. Do not trust the things of this world, but trust rather in your covenant-keeping God and do good. How do we do good? We follow what God has told us to do. Dwell in this land and befriend faithfulness. And literally, that means feed on faithfulness. So what is it that we are to do? Rather than looking and being envious of the prosperity, we are to find satisfaction and to be satisfied in Christ. Jesus tells us this very thing, that we are to feed on faithfulness. Well, look what Jesus says, and I just will give us three witnesses to this. Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 14, whoever drinks water... Uh, that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. In other words, Christ supplies all that we need and we can find satisfaction in him. 
We can rest in Christ, whereas we cannot rest in the things of the world, for they will let us down, they will disappoint us. Notice what he says, I am the bread of life. This is John 6, 35. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That you can be satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ in such a way that the things of this world will only leave you hungering and thirsting for more things of the world. But in Christ, you no longer hunger, you no longer thirst, because He completes every satisfaction that you could possibly have. He goes on to say, in John chapter 7, He says, if anyone thirst." Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You know, it's amazing that when you look at the last chapter of the Bible, you see this river flowing from the throne. Most interpret that to be the Holy Spirit that we have in the land that is given to us. What a beautiful picture that all the things that we could ever possibly need and, and, and far greater beyond our own comprehension are found in Christ where leaf never withers when we are in Christ. Our thirst is quenched. Our hunger is taken care of. And we are satisfied in Christ because only Christ can meet our needs. Which tells us something about the the wicked, doesn't it? That hungering and thirsting that they have of the world it never quite satisfies them. <clears throat> Have you ever met a very wealthy person that says, you know, I've got enough money now. Have you ever said, I have enough of whatever it is? We rarely ever get to that position. So what are we to do? Well, we're to trust in the Lord to do good. We're to delight Delight yourself in the Lord, to take delight in Him, to be satisfied in the Lord. It's it's very much the same thing that we saw in verse 3. He is the giver, the sustainer of life as the providential ruler of all things. And so when we read this verse, one commentator, James Hamilton, writes this, to delight oneself in God is to find pleasure in Him the way that the worldly find pleasure in the satisfaction of their desires. In other words, the way that the world looks at finding satisfaction and pursues it, you and delighting yourself in the Lord, by delighting yourself in the Lord, means that you are looking to Him for that satisfaction, pursuing Him for that satisfaction that you can only receive in Him. What a contrast. Spurgeon says this, Our innermost desires are here meant, not our casual wishes. There are many things which by nature might desire which grace would never permit us to ask for. These deep, 
prayerful asking desires are those to which the promise is made. In other words, when you are delighting and finding satisfaction in God, the desires of your heart are given to you by God because you have been given new desires. Your desires are no longer desires of the flesh, but they are desires that have been given to you by God that would be strange and foreign to the man of this world. Jesus tells us what to hunger after, and it is this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What are we to do? Commit our way to the Lord. Verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act by this. You will shine as a light. Commit your life to Him in all ways. And in that, He blesses it because you are a light in Christ. We shouldn't be afraid to say that the Lord blesses us in our faithfulness. We are told here in verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. In other words, be quiet before the Lord. What else are we supposed to do? We're to refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Don't get so balled up. We can have a righteous anger, but the warning here is that it can lead us to sin or act in ways that are not according to righteousness. That is what we have to be on guard from. In looking at the prosperity of the wicked, look, we've had a lot of conversations. I know that we get upset about a lot of the wickedness that we see, as we should. We should be offended but we can't allow us allow that to drive us to sin. That's the point. We could allow our anger to become like a forest fire and take over. We're told to turn away from evil. Shun it. There's so much wickedness around us. Don't take part in it. Don't laugh at it but actually flee from it. And once again, we are told, wait for the Lord in verse 34, and keep his way as you wait for him. We're told to trust, to do good. We're told to delight in the Lord. We're told to commit our way to the Lord. We're told to be still before him, to refrain from anger, to turn away from evil, and to wait for the Lord. Okay, we can do those things by His grace. But we need some encouragement. And so the psalm gives us actually some truths for the righteous. Look at verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. This is speaking of a right-ordered view of the world. What do I mean by that? 
If you are in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have been given new desires because you have the mind of Christ, you have been born again, you have now a different view of the world that is radically different from the rest of the world. You actually have a right view of the world because now you view things from an eternal perspective rather than a temporal materialistic possession. In other words, that when we are in the Lord, we actually have a right view of the world that we would not have apart from Him. Number Verse 16 tells us this is better as the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. In other words, you not only have all that you need, but what you do have because of your position with God is far greater than if you had all of the riches of the world. These are encouraging truths for us. We see in verse 23, the steps of of man are established by the Lord. When he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. What does that mean? is that the Lord, despite us, holds on to us and doesn't let us go. In other words, the Lord sustains His own. Look at verses 25 and 26. We look at maybe the wealth and the prosperity of the wicked, But look what verse 25 and 26 tells us. I have been young and now old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Not only are their basic needs covered, but they're also able to give. What did we already see is that the righteous is generous in gifts. Not only does he give, but he gives generously, even if he has little. Why? Well, because the Lord takes care of you. Why do you worry about what you're going to wear? Why do you worry about what you're going to eat? The Lord is going to provide you with these things. He provides our needs. Not only that, the wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. What is it that the Lord Jesus promised the disciples? Don't worry about what you're going to say when you're brought before the rulers and the authorities that hate you, they want to persecute you, and, don't, and they want to kill you. Because in that time, I will bring to remembrance to you. Don't worry about what you're going to say. These are encouragements to help us get through day in and day out. Now, what is the characteristics of this kingdom? Righteousness. In fact, we see righteousness, verse 6, verse 12, 16, 17, 21, 25, 29, 30, 32, 39. Why is righteousness a key characteristic of the kingdom of God? Well, verse 31 tells us that we are given a new disposition. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. In other words, the desires that we have are desires for God's law. 
Rather than it just merely restraining us, it becomes the guiding force of our life. That we desire to follow it. Another mark of this is this is kingdom of this kingdom is justice. We see in verse six, your justice as the noonday is as much as the noonday comes up, there will be justice. In verse thirty, the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. Something that we are called to be people of justice throughout all of Scripture. Over and over again, that is a mark of God's kingdom. Peace. Verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. There is peace that we have that is a mark of this kingdom. We see this, and for there, for the righteous and blameless man, verse 37, there is a future for the man of peace. Not only do we see righteousness, justice, and peace, but we also see security. Look at verse 39 and 40. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. And the overarching theme is that of comforting the righteous, that despite the current way things are and the way they look, there's coming this time when God will establish two true justice, remove the wicked, and there will be security. That none will be allowed that are of sinfulness and unrighteousness to enter the gates, but rather they will be cast outside of it. The greatest mark of this is presence. The presence of the Lord And you see this, is that if we call upon the Lord, that He Himself will be with us. That He will not only be with us when we call upon Him, but that He is to dwell with His people. You see images of this, that He upholds His hand. You see this, that He will not forsake. They are preserved forever. You see this in glimpses throughout this entire psalm, the presence of the Lord dwelling with His people, that He Himself will come and be with them. When you put things in that perspective, you wonder how could we ever be envious of the prosperity of the wicked? How could that ever trip us up? When you see all of the glorious realities of God's kingdom, Now, what does this teach us about our desires now? Just self-examination time in light of God's Word. Does this not shape us? Does this not cause us to reflect? Does this not remind us that our great need of grace and God's help If I was to ask you this question, how do we delight in the Lord? 
What exactly does that mean? Well, it can't mean any less than fellowship of the saints. That is the church. It can't mean any less than prayer and scripture in our lives. It's that simple. You ever ask children a question in a Bible study? Those are usually the three answers you give, they give, and guess what? They're right. They're right. It can't mean less than that, because is this not God's means of grace and how we show our delight in Him in ordering our life after the way that He has called us to? And when our life is ordered after His revealed will, we are in effect delighting in Him as our priority. Is God our priority? Do we truly delight in Him? Is He number one? Or are the shiny things of this world? There's something else here is this. We are reminded, don't fret over the wicked or the prosperous. But this is not a call to passively sitting back, but a life of seeking justice, and it's also marked by a life of generosity and following the Lord. The social justicians could take that one out of context. But that's what we're called to. We're called to practice justice. And does this not drive also our concern for the lost? Because what we see here in the text is that there are a group of people that are identified as the wicked, and there's a group of people that are identified as the righteous. There's not another group. And we're told that the righteous will inherit the land. And we're told that the wicked will be cast out. Do we have a heart's desire for the nations, for our neighbor, for our family members that do not know the Lord, knowing that that is their fate unless they call upon the Lord Jesus Christ? This should drive us to a heart with compassion for the lost. This should drive us to see that the lost would hear the gospel. And again, does this not show us that in life, if we are in Christ, we are not lacking anything? But that in Christ, we have everything. And those without Christ have emptiness. And they're continually trying to fill it with things that will not fill it. And if you're sitting here this evening and you say, I'm not there, it's because you have found satisfaction in Christ. And you have to admit that that is the greatest comforting comfort that you could possibly have. That if Christ were to return today, 
that if you are in Christ, he, he welcomes you. And he says, this is your land now. There will be no wickedness in it anymore, for I have judged them and taken them out. And what a glorious day that will be, a day we can look forward to that this is our inheritance. It will be remade in righteousness and purity. This challenges this thing in our lives. What is our greatest priority? Do we delight in the Lord or do we delight in the world? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth that you will preserve your righteous. And we thank you for the truth that we know that it is not our righteousness. We don't look to our goodness for security, for assurance. But we look to Christ who gives us his righteousness as a covering. And that you preserve your people that you give them a land to dwell in eternally. Father, we pray your grace that we would take delight in you and that our desires would be your desires. Our will would be to do your will. We pray that as we recognize that there are wicked that are going to face your judgment one day, that we would have a, a desire to reach the lost that our desire would be to reach well, those loved ones that we know that are not walking with the Lord Jesus. We pray that our greatest priorities would be the Lord Jesus in our life. And Father, we know that that is marked by obedience to Christ, putting Christ first. And so we pray your grace and help it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.